You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I just didn't want to stay where I was. People said to me, well, do you have a job lined up in New York? I said, no. Do you know anybody there? No. Do you have a place to live? No. So aren't you afraid of what will happen if you move? I said, no, I'm afraid of what will happen if I stay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Was It Chance, the podcast about embracing opportunity and taking intentional risk for your creative life. I'm Heather Vickery. And I'm Alan Seals. And Heather and I started off as two perfect strangers who met by chance in a totally normal way and embraced opportunity. <laughs> Listen in as we chat with other successful people about the risks they've taken to put themselves on a path to creative success. Did, did you have like a, like a voice crack there? Like a uh, preteen voice crack? Is that what maybe? I heard? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. It does. Listen. Alan, who's with us today? Uh, we have old J Mads, my old buddy J Mads, Jeffrey Madoff. Mad- Jeff Madoff. A- Madoff. Oh, Madoff. He I'll, I'll do that made again. off with the money. <laughs> uh, no, don't do it go. again. Keep it because that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Then Jeffrey Madoff. I am not mad that Jeffrey is here. Jeff is a fashion designer, teacher, author, playwright, and producer who helps dispel the myth that artists can't be good business people and that good business people can't be creative. Jeff has directed award-winning commercials, documentaries, and web content for clients such as Ralph Lauren, Victoria's Secret, Tiffany, Radio City, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, otherwise known as AMDA, and Harvard University, just to name a few. He's also the writer and producer of Personality, a play based on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame artist Lloyd Price that just opened in Chicago this Ooh, month. Chicago. June. Hey, that's you. That's where you are. That's where I am. Yeah. Oh, you're in Jeff. Chicago? I am. I want to so, go see the show. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Well, welcome, Jeff. Hi. Thank you for Jeffrey? Thank you for having Jeff? me on. <laughs> <laughs> J Mads? <laughs> Jeff is not sure what to do with me and Alan just yet. He's like, what did my press people get me into? <laughs> I'm, I am so, completely comfortable because I can't fuck up any more than Alan already did. So, <laughs> uh, I think I love you. <laughs> 
call you by the wrong See? name, flub the intro. Yeah, but you set such a low bar that I can hopefully they, that, That's what I always <laughs> say. I always say, I'm like, the bar is low, don't worry about anything. And the bar wow. is open also, even though. <laughs> and the bar is open, this I is love a, that. This is an open bar and drink all you want of the intellectual Kool-Aid. So, uh, Jeff, um, I want to know out of all the things that, you know, I just rattled off pretty poorly. Where, where did you start? Like when you were little Jeff, uh, what was the first thing you did? Were you, were you interested in fashion design or teaching or writing? Where did it all begin? Well, it really, if you want to go back to the beginning, it began at birth. And, uh, you know, prior to that, not a lot was going on, at least nothing that I remember. Uh, my fair, fair earliest point. memories of being inside my mom, you know, was it was comfortable. There was plenty to eat. Uh, I had enough space. There was pl you know. plenty to eat. <laughs> yeah, oh man, being a fetus was great. The buffet was incredible. And, and yeah, and you know, there was no competition. Uh, and so, you know, it was really nice. It was like having a really wonderful, self-sufficient studio apartment. And, uh, <laughs> Which costs a lot of money in New York these days. That's so. right. That's right. And, yeah. and I wasn't, although I wasn't charged rent, uh, I was evicted quite suddenly after nine months or so. And so that was kind of a traumatic shock to the system. Uh, you should write a play about that. Maybe I will. You know, it, it <laughs> depends how this one goes. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I've, I've been thinking of that. But I, did I have any uh, master plan that was hatched at birth? Well, what, what was the, the first opportunity that came along in your life? Uh, like coming, it, it was it middle school? Was it high school? Were you like, I love fashion or I'm going to write a play or I like watching TV. I want to get into producing or being what? even an actor. And Jeff, you started off with a philosophy and psychology degree. That's right. Right? Yes. Which would have been what I would have done if I, well, I have a degree in English, but if I'd gone for. And you speak it very well, by the way. Oh, thank you. I've been working on it for 48 years. <laughs> Who says English degrees are useless? I love my English and theater. I, I joke that I have a degree in bullshit. Like I can, I can bullshit my way through anything with my creative writing and theater degree. No, but, um. But yeah, I mean, you, you are super multi-passionate. Again, philosophy and psychology and then fashion design and production and writing and teaching. And so I, I'm with Alan, like, what was the first sort of aha opportunity that you were like, oh, let me just give that a try? Or did you already know that you wanted to go in to what you started off with? Philosophy uh, you and psychology? Know, I had started off, I was, uh, thinking of majoring in conversational Latin. And then when I heard that it was- a, Is that serious or sar sarcasm? Are you being, is it satire? Well, I'll Please let you it's decide. Satire. It's totally satire. You give such it's great totally delivery satire. that I'm like, and I'm looking at this man in, in the face, in the eyes, listeners, and I'm like, damn, it's very straight delivery. It's good, it's good. That's how I used to work at UPS. And so we were known <laughs> for our delivery and uh, you are you this is Alan in a few years. <laughs> you are an older version of Alan. I don't know how I got myself into this. Uh, well, he is way more handsome, so I have something to look look forward to. Uh, trying to win it back after the Madoff comment. Is that it, Alan? I can see <laughs> your motives are clear. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, what you were correct, Heather, was philosophy and psychology. Uh, I wanted to have two majors that would assure a complete inability to get a job. And I was <laughs> successful in doing that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I thought with philosophy, you know, I could somehow assemble a flock and uh, shepherd my way through life, but that didn't happen. And I had, I had no plans, honestly, of what I was going to do. Uh, all I knew is that, you know, I'm seduced by ideas. And if I really am fascinated by something, that's what I will go after. And, uh, you know, I started off in fashion design, not because I had any passion at all for fashion design, but because I was working in this uh, boutique, a little boutique in Madison, Wisconsin, which is where I went to college, University of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And a dear friend of mine who was a year older called me up and said, look, I've saved up some money. Can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? And I said, well, you know, I work in this boutique. I see what we sell. And uh, I could start a fashion company. And, just like that. And just like I that. mean, truly, like, why not? truly just like that. You know, I could always draw. Uh, and so I didn't know what else, you know, nothing else came to mind. I always wonder because it was so, you know, situational. He called me and I was at work. And, you know, I was thinking, God, what if I had been in the bathroom? And I said, you know, I could make paper towels and toilet paper. I don't know. It's just, you know, I looked around where I was when I got the call and made up an answer. Uh, so I did have experience selling the clothes because I worked in this boutique. And by the way, it's funny, when I call it a boutique, it sounds like it's some kind of established business. The owner was only a few years older than I, and you know, we sold rolling papers and hash pipes at the checkout counter. So it's not, <laughs> it, 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 was, it was not like, oh, well, this is a sophisticated business. You learned a great deal of business uh, at that time. And the answer is no, I didn't. Uh, but it you know, exposed me to New York because I went in, I was the buyer for the store because nobody else knew how to do it. And my parents were in retail. And so I had worked at their store in, when I was a little kid, uh, just you know, receiving merchandise and checking it off of the uh, packing lists and the invoicing and all that sort of thing. So I had some knowledge of the business, which was more than anybody else who was working there had, uh, which could talk about low bars, by the way. So uh, that's how I started in fashion design. And it happened, you know, I got some, I designed some things, got some sewers who did alterations for us to, to make them, and uh, they sold right away. And so made some more, and they sold right away. And then I packed a bunch of samples onto uh, the back of my motorcycle, actually drove to Chicago from Madison and right. uh, went to like 18 boutiques and sold, I think, 14 of them. And all of a sudden I was in business. You know, I had orders to fulfill and uh, that was my first company. And I was chosen one of the top 10 young designers in the United States which is a lot less impressive than it sounds because I think there were only eight of us. 
So being <laughs> being in the top ten was not everyone a big else deal. was super old. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's super old. Yeah, it was just this whole geriatric scene at that point. That's right. <laughs> but where did, where did you start working? At the or why did you start working at the boutique? Was that just a, a day job to like pay the bills, and yeah. then you just fell into everything else? Well, it was just a job. To, it was two things. Uh, it, yes, it was a way to make some money and uh, and pay the bills and so on. Plus, across the hall from us, we were in the base of this rooming house, which was actually pretty interesting because the wall behind the checkout counter, you know. Uh, is where we had the shelves that had the stereo and the records and stuff on it. And above us was a rooming house, kind of a low-end rooming house. So when somebody OD'd and fell down the stairs, the arm would skip across the record. And we said, oh, there, there goes another one. And, uh, <laughs> wow, that's horrible. And, uh, and across the hall from us, the other half of the bottom of the rooming house was a record store. So... You know, I had friends that worked in there, so I could take... I, I was making mixtapes long before there were mixtapes because I would, I could take any records I wanted and record them and then return them. And I've always loved music. So it was actually a great place. Plus, I was, a, a, I was young. I was, you know, uh, had just finished college. And, uh, and it was a great social atmosphere, too, because all the customers were my age. And so that was that was fun also. So it was a, it was a neat experience. It was a lot of fun, uh, but it's nothing I had any no pun intended designs on. That's not what I thought I was going to be doing. But that's what I ended up doing for my first business, my first adult business, which makes it sound like porn, you know. Well, that I was going to say. <laughs> but then your yes. second adult business, we skip over that. <laughs> but the the fashion side. It sounds like it was going well and you're in demand and you've got the orders and I love that it's just situational and you're like, I'm here, let's just make fashion. Whereas if you're on the toilet, you'd, you'd be a politician because you'd say you're full of shit or not anymore. No, but on the toilet, the, you're getting rid of some of that though too. So. Right, there you go. So the the commercials, the documentaries, the web, I mean, web content, obviously the internet wasn't a, a thing back in the record player days, but... Uh, at what point were you like, time for this adult business to to go away? Or maybe it's still there. I don't know. But what was the next thing where somebody called you up and you're like, well, I'm here in watching TV. I guess I'll make commercials now. Yeah, right. How did we transition here? Well, what happened was, uh, you know, I had mentioned that I went to New York because I did the buying trips for the store. And that was a time when it was really a unique process. Uh, it was a new market, which was called the contemporary market for fashion, which was for people my age at that point. Uh, because you know, usually pri prior to that contemporary market creation, you know, you either look like you were in elementary school or selling insurance. And then all of a sudden fashion started to shift and got more interesting in catering to those people who were just out of college or in college. And, uh, and there was a whole cultural shift. And we also became a meaningful marketplace. I was a, a baby boomer. And as we got older, that was also the biggest marketplace. So it was appealing to people that I was the same age as. You know, so it was kind of an interesting time to look at our, our popular culture. 
Uh, not that I did it as any intellectual pursuit, but in looking back, you know, I started seeing certain kinds of patterns, which is how we all kind of make sense of our, the trajectory of our lives. It's through the rear view mirror. You know, you don't really know going through and then you somehow put it together as if it made sense and was meant to be, but it's not meant to be. Who the fuck knows? Shit happens. And, you know, you, your life goes on. And I had a backer, a really good man who was uh, my financial backer, and he owned five banks in Wisconsin. And he found me an interesting, to be an interesting novelty. I actually knew his daughter, and she said, oh, you should meet my dad, because you know, I needed financing. What my friend uh, sent me to start the business, memory's a little hazy now, he thinks it was $2,500, I thought it was $1,500, but whatever it was, it went really quick. But, you know, at the time, that was the most money I ever had at one time to do whatever I wanted with. Uh, so I had to get financial backing because my business was growing really, really fast. And she said, you know, you ought to meet my dad. I told him about you and thought that your business was quite interesting. And, you know, I was like 21 or 22 and I had 110 people working for me. Wow. So I In your fashion design business. Yes, yes. Wow. And wow. so, uh, you know, he being a banker. They're all mannequins. And, though. And, uh, they weren't dummies. And uh, <laughs> and he, you know, thought that. Thank you very much, Heather. I appreciate that. Uh, he, he, uh, you two are literally the same person. I just am amazed. What came to pass was that initially I loved, you know, going to New York. I was intimidated by it at first, so I liked going and visiting, but never thought of living there. But after a couple of years, I realized that I was a stimulus junkie, that I loved being in New York. Uh, being in a college town like Madison, which was fabulous, made me realize that I really love cities. I love downtown, you know, suburbs, which is what I grew up in and had a, a, you know, my upbringing was fun it was great and i still have many many friends from my childhood but i didn't want to mow a lawn i didn't want to clean out the spouting i didn't want to have to do any of that stuff and i was very attracted to cities i realized and i wanted to move to new york and uh my financial backer had made it clear that he was one of the reasons he was backing me is because i was employing wisconsinites and they banked at his bank and uh, so when I said I wanted to move, you know, he said, you know, I had told you that I would not back you if you moved the, the business. Uh, and he had told me that. It wasn't anything that was vindictive or mean. He was great. He was a really good man and he backed my business. But it was time for me to move on. And uh, there was a recession going on at that point. I just didn't want to stay where I was. And, you know, people said to me, well, do you have a job lined up in New York? I said, no. Do you know anybody there? No. Do you have a place to live? No. So aren't you afraid of what will happen if you move? I said, no, I'm afraid of what will happen if I stay. You know, it was sort of time to move on from the college town, which I really loved, and move on to whatever the next chapter was going to be. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's when I moved to New York. And I, I actually traveled, I had saved up enough money that if I lived frugally, which I did, uh, that I could travel for about a year, which I went to Europe and traveled around. And when I came back to, to when I came back to New York and I lived 11 different places the first year, you know, testing out different neighborhoods, house sitting, doing whatever I could to just keep costs down also, I, I ran out of money. Is, is, the, is the bottom line. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. And, but I had a good name in the fashion business because, you know, I got good publicity, my stuff sold. I started another fashion company, sold it, and that led to me transitioning into the film business. Wait, uh, what? Well, yeah, and, and yeah, that, we get, that's a connection I don't understand. Before we get there, I, I'm just curious, your fashion business in Wisconsin did you just close it where you're like yes sorry fellas I'm out like good luck yeah I I did this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, I mean, I discussed it with my backer, and you know, he had made clear what his intention was because right. of the economic situation at that time. It was also uh, stores that I was selling to, like Bloomingdale's, for instance, would take four months to pay. Cash flow became a real issue, and. Boy, the business was no longer any fun. I had to lay people right. off. You know, I'm like 22 and very mindful that I'm laying people off that are not only more than twice my age. They, they were supporting families with what I paid them. Yeah. And, you know, that's a heavy thing for a kid, which is what I was, yeah. to be shouldering because I, you know, I knew these people. They were, you know, they worked in, I had a, a factory where we were making stuff. I had office in I had an office in New York also, but the core of my employees, other than the sales staff, which was in New York and different other major markets like Chicago and uh, San Francisco and so on, uh, you know, I just I I wanted to move on. I wanted to do something else, and and the decision to close the business uh, was necessary in terms of me moving up. I could have tried to seek other financing to keep it going, but I just want, also wanted to just have a break and do something else, which is why I traveled for a while. You know, just instead of just keep moving forward and moving forward, I wanted to pause and kind of get a sense of what, what the hell is going on in my life. You know, and it was, it, it was tough. It was a tough period because, you know, I never had to like lay off people before. I never had employees before. Uh, and so it was a lot to deal with. And I wanted to, you know, 
understand what was going on with me. So that's uh, why I made that decision and the decision to close the business. So closed it, moved to New York, started traveling, came back house sitting, ran out of money-ish, and then where did the, the like getting into TV and film and, and whatnot at that point too? So where did that opportunity come from or how did you create that opportunity for yourself? Well, I started another company. I was approached by somebody from another business that I knew and uh, she said that, you know, she'd handle the financial end of things and, you know, I should design, you know, because I had, a, again, my stuff sold. And so that seemed like a good idea. And we did that and built up the company and then sold that company. And again, it sounds like much bigger business than it was. It wasn't. When what com That was fashion design. That, that was another fashion company. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And um, what facilitated the transition is that there was a, a company that I bought fabrics from. And now when I started, when I started business, my business, you know, my hair wasn't blonde, but it was like yours, Heather, you know, it was down my shoulders okay. and it was a, you know, different era mm -hmm. and getting taken seriously by the adults in business, you know, didn't happen until they saw that I had a substantial credit line and, you know, yeah having money overcomes all kinds of biases, you know, uh, and because, you know, nobody is biased against green. And uh, there was a really nice man who was one of the owners of a fabric company. And uh, he never questioned me. He liked me off the bat. We did business together. And then one time I went in to buy, I bought from him in my first company and I was buying from him in this company. And he said, Jeff, do you know anything about the, fashion, the uh, film business? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I mean, I love movies. I've read some books, but no, I don't really know much about it. And he said, well, you've got a good head for business. And my son is your age. And he's gotten involved with some people. And he won't listen to me. But uh, <laughs> I think you two might hit it off. Yep. And would you mind meeting him? So no, I'd be happy to. So one crime spree later, uh, he, here we are. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, what happened was his son had bought the rights to a book called Junkie. It was written by William Burroughs. And uh, are you familiar with William Burroughs? Mm -mm. So William Burroughs is one of the seminal figures of the beat generation, like with Allen Ginsberg uh, and Ken Kesey. And he was... Uh, he was a fascinating person. He was the uh, one of the heirs to the Burroughs business machine fortune. Uh, his cool. father was one of the largest owners of IBM. And he was That's gay something. and a junkie. And he was at that time in his mid to late 60s, mid 60s, probably or early 60s. I don't know, something like that. A lot older than the rest of us. And uh, he had written Junkie. His most famous book, by the way, was called Naked Lunch. And these are like, you know, really cornerstone books of the of the beat generation. And you're nodding your head, Heather. You're familiar with these? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so his son had bought the rights to make a movie out of Junkie. And the person who was going to be directing that was uh, Dennis Hopper. 
and young Dennis young Hopper. Dennis Hopper who had just finished making Apocalypse Now with uh, Francis Ford Coppola directing, yeah. and he was there with Marlon Brando. So uh, Dennis Hopper and I really hit it off, and uh, all of a sudden I was like involved in this situation that within a few weeks became clear that was not going to come to fruition but it was still really interesting uh it was dennis hopper and terry southern who wrote magic christian if you ever heard of that and that was a big deal book in the in the 70s and um and Dennis was an interesting character, and this is before he got cleaned up. So there were times that it he was back. quite out there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they had a suite. They moved into a suite at the Chelsea Hotel, which is quite a scene at that time in the 70s. And uh, their day would start at like 4 in the afternoon. And uh, Burroughs would give... Burroughs would give uh, a, actually, Dennis Hopper would sign over his checks. I saw this happening. It's so vivid to me. I can picture it as I'm talking to you. He would sign over the checks from Zoetrope, which was Coppola's film studio, from his payments for Apocalypse Now. And then Burroughs' assistant would go out and score drugs and buy alcohol. Wow. And uh, so it was a very interesting time. Uh, and... Uh, Tommy, the guy who had bought the rights, the son of the person I mentioned, uh, I said to him, you know, you brought, you put this team together and uh, they're going to squeeze you out. They don't need you anymore. And uh, he said, but it's my, it's, I, I own the property. And I said, well, you optioned it. And uh, it's never going to get made. These guys, you know, wake up at four in the afternoon, they eat get high, start arguing at two in the morning, and nothing ever gets done. It's not going to happen. I was going to have a part in the in the movie because, you know, Dennis liked me, and I was going to have a part in a movie, but that movie never happened, uh, and hence the end of my film career. And, uh, <laughs> and in, in the but acting... But you're not going to let that stop you. And, you know, it was... What I did learn was through meeting other people uh, while I was doing this is I thought, wow, this is interesting because I've always been into storytelling. When I was a little kid, I was always writing short stories. I even wrote a play that was performed in sixth grade uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, which is kind of funny because it was about a kid that is on a field trip with a school and uh, he falls asleep and they all leave and the museum's closed and when he wakes up. He's in this museum, and he sees, yes, what your reaction is correct. Yes, it was. Uh, like, I just watched that movie so with my daughter last yeah, week. Ben Stiller broke Damn, in and man, stole you your idea? Some, yeah. You should have gotten some coin for that. Yeah, I, I, I wish, but I don't think anybody outside of King's School in Akron, Ohio, which is where <laughs> I'm from, ever saw that. But that was, in fact, that was the play, that the these iconic historic figures came to life. Uh, so it's kind of funny, but anyhow, I all, and I drew and wrote comic strips that would get passed around the school. So I always was, storytelling was always something I really enjoyed, which I think I got from my grandfather, who uh, we were very close. Uh, he died when I was quite young, 
but we were very close and he would come over and he would tell me stories. He grew up in New York. And I always, I uh, could have never articulated it as a kid, but now that I'm an adult, realize, you know, just the power of story and, uh, and telling stories is something that I really spark to. You know, and I love reading and I love great storytelling, be it a book or a film or a play or whatever. And so that became a real magnet for me. So the combination of that, along with, you know, learning some video, some film and then video production sort of set the course for me for another different career. But I was able to parlay my fashion knowledge and get clients such as Ralph Lauren and Victoria's Secret and some of the people that you mentioned because I knew their business and I could speak their language and knew what their mm -hmm. concerns were. So I think if you're paying attention, everything you do informs everything else you do in life. It's not like mm -hmm. you did this, then you did this, then you did this, and there's no connection. There's always connections. How, how did you go back to, like Ralph Lauren, right, a fashion client, and say, now I'm going to do something? Because they're not a small company. They've got multiple, a huge company with multiple divisions. That So the fashion side that's buying or designing may not have anything to do with the marketing side is making commercials. So how, do you, how did you bridge that gap? Well, what had happened was that uh, I realized that there was an opportunity in shooting fashion shows. That wasn't being done before. They were shot still photography, you know, so the magazines and press, and you know, at that time, the fashion press was in newspapers, it was quite substantial. And so there were always a lot of photographers at the end of the runway and along the sides of the runway. But the shows weren't being shot in moving pictures. And my first client was Halston. Uh, and, you know, the way that I got him, I actually called up and was able to get him on the phone. Wow. And so I told him what I was doing. Uh, and I said, you know, when's... You never see your own fashion show. You're backstage prepping the models. All you see is stills, and all the people that work for you are afraid to tell you the truth about you know how people were responding. They'll all say it was great, it was lovely, everybody was enthusiastic. Wouldn't you love to see your own show? And he said, I would. I would. Could you come in and talk? And I did, and got him as an account. And at that time, he was the highest profile fashion account. Because I believe you can always start at the top and work your way down. It's a lot harder to work your way up. And you never know until you try. So there's no reason not to shoot high. I think a lot of people are really reluctant to do that because they think that they don't have a chance. And, and well, Dennis Hopper followed that advice too. He shot high all the time. He oh, got high all the yeah. time, that's right. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, so I, th I think it's, it was, it was an interesting, again, looking back, you know, life lesson, because I believe that you shouldn't say no to yourself. If it's something that you're passionate about that you really want to do, try to figure out a way to do it. But I think that's really important because there's enough people that are going to say no to you. that are going to say, you know, what do you, you know, if you're, if you're going to be a, a dentist or an accountant or a lawyer or something, nobody says to you, well, what's your fallback position? You know, but if you're going to make films or write or be a dancer or a musician or a painter, it's always, well, but what's your fallback position? Mm -hmm. So I think your best fallback position 
is falling back on your own savvy and ability and to learn how to sort of navigate those things so you can, if you want a creative career, that you can fulfill on that because it is also a business. And so you have to be able to survive business-wise in order to keep any of those things going. Where where did that, uh, I hate the word grit, right? It's used a lot, but like that, that is a determination, a grit, a, a, I guess a sense of self-awareness or maybe ignorance. I, I don't know, but there, there's Just a point. Guts. Guts, yeah. yeah. There's a point when you're like, this is what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna do it because I don't know how hard it is. I mean, obviously you're not saying <laughs> but, that. But no, but you're absolutely right. I mean, when you're a kid, uh, you know, you don't know, and you aren't as aware of risk, nor at that time, I wasn't married, I didn't have kids. Uh, and so, you know, any risks that I took <clears throat> affected only me in a certain way. I mean, of course, it affected the people that I worked with and so on, but it's, it's, it's different. It was a different stage of life. And I think that that ignorance, which I've had to channel even as an older adult, in terms of doing the play that I'm doing, because I, you know, I wanted to channel my younger self in terms of just not being, I'm a lot more aware of all of the obstacles along the way, <clears throat> but I tend to focus on what my goal is as opposed to the obstacles in the way. Because if you focus on your goal and you hit an obstacle, if you keep that goal in mind, you'll figure out some way around it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What you were calling grit was my parents. You know, my mom and dad were entrepreneurs. I mentioned they had the retail business. And, you know, being an entrepreneur is tough. You know, there's all this mythology about, oh, yeah, you create your own hours. You're just working for yourself. And that's all horseshit. It's, it's hard. And that journey is a very bumpy road. And, you know, 94, 95% of all startups fail within five years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you look at the odds and you try to assess the risk, it seems insurmountable. I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. Mm. And, and that's really a big plus because then you find the best people that can complement your talents and help you move forward. And I think that's really, really critical. But perseverance is huge and that's the often overlooked ingredient as you know people think there's some magic formula or recipe towards success and there's not you just yeah. got to keep the fuck at it because it's hard and most people give up yeah i mean that's are you familiar with angela duckworth's work 
She's got a book out called Grids. Yes, yes. I, I know, mm-hmm. I know that much. What science has, I mean, you're right, and we kind of know that, but there's science behind that. Like, it does, resilience and grit will get you way further than talent. Because if you have talent, but you don't persevere, that's right. It doesn't fucking matter. So, Jeff, my, you teach a class, or at least you used to, I think you still do, at Parsons, right? But it's not about fashion design. It's about all the stuff you're sharing with us right now. I'm super interested in how did that come about, and what do you enjoy about teaching that? I was approached by a guy uh, while I was shooting the Ralph Lauren show, and uh, I was approached by this guy, Dean Stadel, and it's funny, his first name is Dean, and he's in the academic world. But, <laughs> but you know, so that was an initial meeting. I said, I'm Dean Stadel. My name's from- Principal Principal. That's right, yes. <laughs> and I have no principles. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he said, you know, I teach this course at Parsons, and, uh, I, you know, I would love you to be a guest speaker. And, you know, because, again, it was early in the days of videoing fashion shows, so that was kind of mm-hmm. novel at that point. And... Um, so I did, and the students liked what I had to say in the way that I said it. And after I had guest lectured for like four semesters, five semesters in a row for him, and there was always good response, he said, look, there's an opening uh, for part-time faculty, and I think you would, you would be great. Uh, are you interested? I'll get you an interview. I said, sure. Yeah. And so... Uh, I met with, and, and uh, God, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, he did the show with Heidi Klum, Project Runway, and he... Oh, um, yeah, me, J- Tim Gunn. Tim Gunn, that's right, Tim thank Gunn. you. Yeah, and sorry, Tim, if you... In the sorry, re- remote chance that you might be listening to this. <laughs> we love you, Tim. <laughs> uh, and very nice man and i have this sliver in fashion history of being his the last hire he approved before he left parsons because his other careers were going quite well well that's cool but he he actually said you know well if you could teach a course what would the course be and i said you know talking about creative careers and how do you make a living with your ideas i love that and he hired me i mean i was approved by him and it was it was interesting because that led to me having becoming an adjunct professor, and then I also wrote a book based on the class that I teach, uh, that was published a couple of years ago, and and it's about what we're talking about really, and I, it's yeah. The book is called Creative Careers: Making a Living with Your Ideas, which, I mean, you have done. Well, yeah, I figured <laughs> you know if I'm going to write a book about it, you ought to write about something you know. But it's also, there's a lot of information in there from people who, uh, it's all different kinds of careers, you know, and uh, from people that aren't giving you these Pollyanna slogans. uh, It's it's really good because you talk, we talk about the obstacles that they hit. How did they overcome them? You know, what's the emotional content there? Because it's really tough when you put yourself out there, when you put your ideas out there, you also are a target. And you know, the more public you are, the bigger the target you are for all kinds of things. And, and I think it's really important that you create 
an emotional moat that there's just certain people you don't let cross that and you realize they don't know you. They may think they know your work, but they don't know you. And these aren't or shouldn't be personal attacks if something is criticized. And, but you know, a lot of people take some pretty bad and traumatic blows as they put themselves out there. And uh, I think that again, that's where the perseverance comes in. And you have to figure out, wow, why did that knock me on my ass? Was it true or, right. you know, that kind of thing. How do you overcome that? Yeah, you have to reflect, right? You have to look back at it and figure out what was there for you. What did you learn from it? How did you grow from it? Yeah, and by the way, that may take a while for that knowledge to seep in. It's not like an yeah. immediate reaction. You know, it, it, it takes a while. But we all create our own narratives, you know, and th that's always a work in progress. And you can only do that by looking back. And then you sort of knit it together. And, uh, you know, I think that it, it's, it's interesting, the stories we tell ourselves, you know. And I think the way that you talk to yourself makes a big difference. So then now coming to today, where, do, where you're funneling all of this through now for personality? So this play that that is opening in Chicago or open in Chicago. Right. And it's about rock and roll. So you're not only are you writing, but you're producing. So you're, and it's theater and it's about the rock and roll hall of fame. Uh, explain this, this combination of, of everything. Well, the title of your podcast is what? Was, Was it, it chance? Okay. Sounds like it might have been. I hear a lot of chance in your story. It's yeah. pretty cool, actually. Well, you know, opportunities are not opportunities if you don't recognize them as such. Fucking hey. You know, so it's it's really important to you know be awake and understand you know what's going on around you and uh, and to be able to sense an opportunity and. Um, Again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm seduced by ideas. So what happened was that I got a call from uh, a guy named John Bonani, really good man who was uh, the executive producer at Radio City Music Hall. And it was their 75th anniversary. And he wanted me to uh, make a film about the 75th anniversary of Radio City. And that became part of the Christmas Spectacular. He, he left Radio City. He gave me a call one day and he said, uh, you know, we're all stories started in the doctor's office. And he said, you know, I'm here at my eye doctor's. You ever heard of Lloyd Price? And I said, Mr. Personality? Yeah, I mean, I love his music. I love Stagger Lee and Personality and Laudy Miss Claudy. I don't know anything about him, but I really, I, I, loved his music and he said well i'm here with lloyd we go to the same eye doctor and i was telling wow. him about you talk about chance i was telling him about you and we were talking about doing a short documentary about him and i know you would do a great job are you interested would you mind meeting with lloyd i said i'd love to meet him that'd be fun cool so the next day they came to my office uh lloyd and i hit it off and uh, I did the documentary, and so I researched him, and then I interviewed him, and uh, 
it came out quite well. I went with Lloyd and John and a couple of other people to New Orleans. Uh, Lloyd is from Kenner, Louisiana, which is where the airport is for New Orleans, presented the film. And, you know, they didn't really have any direction of what they were going to do, but they wanted to raise awareness of Lloyd and that sort of thing, because he's, he's uh, a very interesting person and a very interesting figure in our popular culture. And uh, in getting to know him a bit, I uh, said to, to Lloyd, I know I can capture your voice. I want to tell your story. And I wrote the first few scenes and read them to him. And he really liked it. And he said, I want you to do this. And that began what became a very, very close friendship. Uh, he is a fantastic person. We had a lot of fun together. I mean, going and listening to music with Lloyd Price, being on a conference yeah. call with Lloyd and Little Richard. I mean, this is some cool stuff. It was fun. Yeah. And Lloyd's story is amazing. Uh, as, the, as his character says in the play that I wrote, my mama wasn't a whore. My daddy didn't leave us. I didn't learn how to sing in church, and I didn't do drugs. I want to get that out of the way up front. And, yeah. you know, it's because we don't all have the same story. So his life unfolded at the crossroads of the youth movement, the civil rights movement, and the birth of rock and roll. All things that mean a lot to me. I love music. I love civil and human rights and stories that bring that to life. Uh, and also what Lloyd had to deal with as being a black man uh, and also being a celebrity, you know, because he would headline at places where he couldn't stay in the hotel where he was booked. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and essentially, at one point, he said, fuck that, I'll open my own club. And he was entrepreneurial. He never allowed himself to be a victim. He would navigate over, under, around, or through those obstacles. And uh, he lived a very full and very interesting life. And, uh, you know, he died in May of 21. And unfortunately, he did see the 29 hour, if you know what that is, which is the first reading where the actors put the script on a music stand. You know, and we had a good cast that did that. And uh, I was able to raise the money to then do a workshop. Then we had our first commercial run in Pennsylvania, actually with a nonprofit. So we didn't produce it, they did. And we're producing the Chicago run, which is our first full-up commercial run. And, um, you know, when you, when you mentioned, Alan, that I produced it, I produced it because nobody else would. Uh, most people didn't know who Lloyd Price was. And I had zero reputation in theater as a playwright or anything else. So the only way that I could make, hope to make this happen was to do it myself. Uh, and, you know, and so that's what I did because I didn't have any, you know, there was no other way it would get done, you know. And, and when I was first meeting with people and uh, they'd say, well, blacks don't go to theater. What? And I said, well, and by the way, this is current times. <laughs> this isn't going back to the oh 50s. Oh, my gosh. And I said, uh, well, first of all, yes, they do. And second of all, why should they? 
I don't want to see carousel. You know, what right. relates to their lives. That's right, exactly yeah. right. And But if you put on a play like A Raisin in the Sun, which is back in the 50s, you put on a play like Fences, you put on a play that's relevant to somebody's life that reflects what their life might be or could be or is, and there's a connection, Absolutely. then they're going to go. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's like hanging out at McDonald's and then uh, somebody saying, well, see, people really rarely eat seafood. Yeah, that that uh, very similar story I just heard because uh, a friend of mine is working with or was working with the um, the Ragtime 25th anniversary concert, the benefit concert that happened a couple months ago. And they were saying like, yeah, Norm Lewis and these uh, people who originated one of the greatest shows on Broadway and during their Washington, D.C. out of town tryout, they'd go and perform to a sold out house and then they couldn't get a cab back to their hotel. All right. That's right. Yeah. You know, so the the story, uh, you know, we were cut short in Pennsylvania because of COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. We closed a week early. We had a three and a half week run. The last eight performances were all sold out. It attracted the most diverse audiences, that theater, People's Light Theater, and they were great partners to work with. It's the most diverse audience that they had ever had. Uh, we're seeing that here in Chicago and, you know, Chicago, I love Chicago. Uh, this is by far the most time I've ever spent here. You know, I did a commercial here years ago, uh, but Chicago is a great city. It's a great theater city. Mm -hmm. uh, we've gotten some wonderful publicity here in the Tribune and the Sun Times uh, in Chicago magazine. And it's really great. Uh, and, you know, this is a, a big chance. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's both a big chance and a big risk. And, you know, you, and I look at things you had mentioned before about having courage. You know, there's courage and there's confidence, you know. And confidence, uh, it was interesting talking to my friend Dan Sullivan. You know, he said, well, confidence is a capability. Because you know, when we were talking about it and the distinction between the two, uh, confidence comes from repetition. And you know, when you repeat something and you're able to accomplish that, no matter what it is you're learning, you develop that capability which gives you the confidence that you can pull it off. Courage is stepping off the edge of the cliff. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. That requires courage because you don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, doing this is a combination of the two. You know, it's, it's having a confidence that I can pull it off and attract the right people because that's critical. You've got to put together the right team of people and you've got to attract those people and they have to feel a certain sense of connection to that mission, that it's not just another gig. And that's really important to me uh, because I'm like all in on this. And when we did the first read through of the script, uh, Sheldon Epps, who's the director, was fantastic. Uh, loved working with him. And he said, uh, asked if there were any questions. And the, one of the actors said, no, I don't have a question, but I have a comment. And that is, I want to say thank you. He said, at a time when our stories are being pulled off of shelves in libraries, 
and that people aren't hearing them, to tell an authentic story like this, he said, it, it is, uh, it's an honor to be working on it. And wow. that deeply touched me uh, because it's a good story and it's true. And uh, what Lloyd had to overcome. And the interesting thing is, like him, he was the first crossover artist, a black man who, who started attracting substantial numbers of whites to his concerts. And we're doing the same thing in terms of theater, where uh -huh. it's crossed over and it's a very mixed audience, which is fantastic. And so it's, um, it's been an amazing journey, but doing a play is like any startup. That's, that's the thing that's really uh, important to understand. It's an entrepreneurial venture and it's a startup. And, you know, most startups fail. So, you know, in theater, by the way, it's another trope that like theater is a terrible investment. If you look at the numbers, 20% of shows recoup and less than 10% of businesses do. So if you actually look at the numbers, wow. all hmm. those tropes about, you know, how bad an investment it is. It is very high risk, by the way, but all startups are very high risk. And, you know, for me, it's like, well, it's all high risk. What do you really want to be doing? And I love to do You're going to take a risk, do something you love. Well, that's right. And, and, yeah. and, you know, and if for me, if not now, when? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So it's a, uh, and I kind of looked at things, not just when I got older, but I've always kind of looked at things that way because I don't want to miss the opportunity because I'm afraid of the risk involved. I have the responsibility as a husband and a father to make sure that my family is provided for. So I can't be stupid and reckless, uh, which is my law firm, by the way, stupid and reckless. But uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I need to be mindful of those things, but fortunately, I have, uh, my wife is very supportive, as are my kids, who aren't really kids anymore, they're 29, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you something that, that deeply touched me, is before I left, you know, I got to Chicago uh, on April 30th, and today, I don't know when this is going to play out, but today is they're recording it on June 12th. And so uh, my, I have twins, a boy and a girl. And I love when people say, oh, you have twins, a boy and a girl. Are they identical? People just don't pay attention, do they? <laughs> you know, uh, there are differences. No, they're not identical. Uh, but anyhow... Uh, so they came over for brunch, uh, you know, when I was going to be leaving, we got together and 
this would probably embarrass them that I'm telling this when I'm telling it. Uh, so when they're getting ready to leave, my daughter said, Dad, Jake and I decided uh, we're splitting a unit and we're investing in your play. Oh. And, you know, I just immediately teared up and hugged them both. I said, thank you, but this is really high risk. And uh, I really love where this is coming from and really appreciate it, but you don't, you don't need to do this. Uh, and my daughter said, well, Dad, can we lose any more than we're putting in? I said, <laughs> and, I said, Great question. and I said, no. And she said, I'm okay with that. And then my Aww. and then my son said, uh, "Dad, this is a full circle moment." And he said, "You know, you supported me and Audrey when we were growing up, so that we could do what we wanted to do, and now we're in a position to help you, and we want to do that." That's beautiful. And yeah, it is. It really is. And those are the real rewards in life. You know, which I think are, are really important. And, uh, and those rewards come from really true relationships. Uh, and I think that that's also hugely overlooked because along with perseverance, having the relationships in life are, are tremendously valuable in so many ways. Do we know where it's going to go from here? No, I feel I feel very good about. I'm very confident about what we're putting in front of the audience, uh, and one of the reasons is, I mean, I'm biased. I think it's a good script, and it's been you know I've rewritten and rewritten and tweaked, and in collaboration with uh, the director Sheldon Epps, and with it's been a fantastic collaboration, and with some of the actors too. Uh, we have an incredible cast, uh, and it's uh, you find good people through other good people. That's the other important thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. And, and that's something that I've always been good at doing is putting together really good teams of people because there's connection there, you know. And uh, and I've done that in whatever business I've had, and and that's really really important. Because when you find, when you work with good people, uh, so you get to you get to leapfrog over a lot of the initial problems in building a team, and uh, we've got great people, and they were all people who I met through other good people, which is which is fantastic. So what? I mean, you're telling all these success stories. And everything seems to be going well, and, and the world is coming up roses. Well, you haven't been listening then, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I just, it's like, it goes back to your daughter saying, can I lose more than I've put in? Um, and you can't, ever, really. You know? I well, not that. really. But, well, what I'm getting at is one of the questions we always love to ask to, to sort of, uh, as we approach the end of the episodes, is like, what is your relationship with failure? How do you how do you deal with uh, rejection and things not going the way you expected and hoped? Well, so there's a few things. I mean, there's failure in business and there's failure in life. Mm -hmm. I have failed in business uh, 
And I don't think I have failed in life. I have lifelong relationships. I'm very close with my kids. Uh, I love my wife and we've been married over 30 years. So I think that I've done pretty well. Uh, you know, not always. Have I fucked up along the way? Yes. Uh, and, you know, have I always tried to be better, so to speak? Yes. But I think that the evidence is in the relationships that I've had and maintained throughout my whole life and the way my kids are in that story that I told you. Uh, so there's failure in business, which means you can't. To me, failure is giving up on what's important to you. Hell yeah. And that's, what's a, that's what failure is. Failure isn't that you lost money, that this thing didn't work out, that whatever. That's not failure. That's hopefully things you learn from and continue to move. And it only becomes failure when you give up on something that's really important to you because it's just gotten too hard. And putting this together is really fucking hard. <laughs> but I didn't give up. And, uh, and I think that's, to me, what failure is. If you compromise your principles, that's failure. Uh, if you give up on yourself, that's failure. If you don't continue to pursue what's really important to you, that's failure. And in personal life, failure is, is not maintaining relationships, not valuing people. Uh, and that to me is failure in the other part of life. And uh, so it's been a roller coaster ride of a journey, and it still is. And I'm happy, you know, I keep getting told, you know how amazing it is you made it to this point? And I said, actually, no, because this is just another step in the process. And I want this to have life beyond Chicago, and hopefully, with the reviews we get and the ticket sales, that it will continue and it's been a, an amazing journey uh but it's really hard yeah. and yeah. and that's the thing that most people don't talk about because they somehow think it, it diminishes things and i think it makes them real because when you when you've achieved yeah i had a plan and i was able to execute on that plan and i 10x my business i say oh shut up you know <laughs> that's you. just not true you know, and uh, so I, I, I can't agree with you, Alan. It has been, uh, there's been lots of bumps in the road and continue to be, but uh, I'm not giving up. Well, it's, yeah, it's perseverance, yeah. which you said earlier. I love that. How can people find you, all the amazing cool shit you're doing, all that good stuff? What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, well, they can link up with me on LinkedIn. I post okay. quotes of my guests uh, from my class and uh, different stories about business and that sort of thing. So LinkedIn is a good place. Okay. They can go to uh, the personalitymusical.com and find out about the play. Okay. And they can go to Madoff Productions uh, and see... Um, you know, the work that I've done over the years in terms of the fashion and some of the other stuff. I think you're really cool. 
And I'm really glad we got to spend this time together. Thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, my pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you guys. I was like, you know, having, uh, without the coffee, having a cup of coffee with a couple of friends. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so awesome. Yeah, that was our goal. Very good. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. All right, J-Mads. <laughs> I love that. I love that you got scolded at the very opening of this. <laughs> I didn't get was, scolded. You did. You got scolded. You did. I didn't get scolded. No. Well, he corrected me, which, you know, to, to much to my chagrin, I normally ask about pronunciation, but I assumed uh, yeah. incorrectly that I knew how to pronounce Madoff. Man, I did it wrong so anyway he did it wrong that um, was cute he obviously has answered that question before he made off with all of the money right right <laughs> so so jay mads our guest uh it dude this this dude uh just incredible he's just like yeah i yeah. guess i'm just gonna do this and then i love his answer at the end about like failure is just giving up on what you want it's not actually yes. failing by definition I, he was cool like what a mellow dude, like very straight face, very straight delivery, like really, I wasn't sure what we we're going to get. And man, if you were paying attention, it was like bomb of truth after bomb of truth. Like it was, I, I thought that he was a really cool guy. I really enjoy interviewing people of a certain age who will call, okay, baby boomers. He called himself a baby boomer. We, we've interviewed yeah. a couple of baby boomers and and the way that they uh, take their analog business acumen and apply it to the current digital age, we're, we're witnessing the results of this transition that I don't think we're going to be able to see again because now our children did not grow up in analog. They don't understand right. that. So the, I think there's a work ethic and I think there's a, a, um, I think a focus that you get without the internet in your pocket. Am I making sense? Yes. I think you're right. Get off my and line. lived experience. No, I mean, I don't know. Like this, it's just cool. This ability to. What is, well, I was standing there and I was looking at the boutique and I was like, well, we just make clothes and then, you know, sure, we can try that. We can do that. Like, obviously embracing chance left and right, but also just this sort of, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? Right. I'll try that. Right. Whatever. You can't lose more than you put in. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I love that. Like, can we lose more than we are investing? No. No. Just know what you're, be, be okay losing what you're putting in. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really, really, really cool uh, philosophy. Anyway, it was awesome. So yeah, well, so I'm gonna try and go see the show, Do it. but um, everybody else should come to Chicago. You should come to Chicago and see the show. I'm sure it's gonna go to Broadway. But Alan, how can folks connect with us if they like the show? Which I'm getting, we're getting some messages, and it's really fun. We love hearing mm -hmm. that you guys are digging this. How can they connect with us and and all that good stuff. Send us an email at wasitchancepodcast at gmail.com. And we're on the IGs at wasitchance. That's our username. Such a door. Slide to the, the DMs. Send us a screenshot of you listening. We'll repost that. That's fun. We're really glad you've been here with us and look forward to being with you for so many more episodes. You've been listening to Was It Chance, the podcast about embracing opportunity 
and taking intentional risk for your creative life. I'm Heather Vickery. And I'm Alan Seals. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye. Adios. Bye. See ya. Bye. See ya. Bye. 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 Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.